Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. This is Aaron, that's Ange. What is? There's Char holding her mic and a drink. We are on location at one of our favorite bars. I don't even want to mention its name because it's sacred. Uh, we're actually at Specs Bar. Uh, it's one of our favorites. It's not that far from Char's studio, which is also a plus. It's literally down the street from Ange's house. One of our favorite bartenders is here tonight, Lucy. And, uh, oh yeah, you can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com. <laughs> you can also find us at bff.fm every Monday morning from 5.30 to 6 if you are up that early. I'm so sorry for you if you are. Uh, Don't but, rub it in. Yeah, so this time uh, I got the opportunity because, uh, you know, as you've heard, if you are a regular listener to this podcast, and me and Char are on basically different planets of scheduling. <laughs> and uh, like tonight, it came together after a long work day for Ange and me and Shara to drive in, but it was awesome because we're making it work. And uh, we got an invitation to interview, uh, I'm just going to call her the friend of the show now, Lulu Wong, the writer director of the beautiful film, The Farewell. She's going to get a serious uh, bitch talk bump Duh. after just the, remember this, I mean, Lulu. the second interview. Just remember That's a serious bump. this moment in your life. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but we were lucky enough to talk with her at the Sundance Film Festival earlier this year. I did not see that film at the time. Ange and our friend of the show, John Wildman of the Daily Buzz, got to see it. We teared up together um, at the theater. Yeah. So we interviewed her. I interviewed her just with like generic questions. Um, but I couldn't wait to see the film. We got an invite when it was uh, here in the Bay Area. Char and I and my boyfriend Jeff saw it the Castro. Um, couple and months actually, ago. you know, I we've both been so busy. I, we really haven't. I haven't really talked to you about what you thought of it. No. And all you heard was that it was my favorite. Right. You're like, this is I what think. I wanted Crazy Rich Asians to be. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like, what is this movie? So um, got invited to uh, interview Lulu again without my my co-pilot over here. Um, but it's a different interview this time. Char mentioned that. God is your co-pilot? Dog. Dog is my <laughs> Anyway. Anyways, got, it, got invited, obviously said yes, made it work. We uh, were on location at Yank Sing with a beautiful spread of dim sum. Oh, we got to meet the yeah. owner of Yank Sing, uh, who I love. She was great. They probably did it there because food is a very big character in The Farewell. Yeah. Dim oh, sum yeah. and um, and then some. And okay. And just like yeah. <laughs> and the um, and the shots of just not only just eating but sitting in the at the round tables and having that mm -hmm. shot of all the family. You'll you'll know what I'm talking about when you see the film. Anyways, please enjoy this kind of part two interview with Lulu Wong. It's just, it's different. That's what Char said. That was her feedback in a good way. You were able to talk about a little bit more behind the scene type stuff, right. you know, like backstory. Right. That we didn't really get to elaborate on or anything no. like that. Uh, oh, that's great. I can't wait to hear it. Well, <laughs> well, because that makes it more well-rounded, right? right? It's like, so you get a little taste, you get a little sprinkle me, exactly. sprinkle me. Sprinkle. You learn about you the movie. Right. Part yeah. two. And now it's more like we're, we're really getting into it. So enjoy this interview with Lulu and we'll see you on the other side. 
Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze and interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. We have a special guest today on the Bitch Talk podcast. Uh, we are at a special location. It's Yanksing in San Francisco, kind of a historical family-run dim sum restaurant that I used to come to as a kid with my family. So this is a nice little uh, revisit here with Lulu Wong. Uh, she's the director and writer of The Farewell. And she was on our uh, one of our podcasts at Sundance. So welcome back. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, if you can, uh, can you let our audience know what The Farewell is? The Farewell is a film that is loosely based on my own family. Uh, my grandmother was diagnosed with stage four cancer uh, a few years ago and given about three months to live. Uh, but when I found this out, my family also told me that um, she doesn't know because the doctor told her sister and not her, which is pretty common in China. They'll tell the family members and let the family decide how and when it would be best to tell the patient. Uh, but in my case, my family decided it would be best not to tell her at all. And uh, instead, as a way for us to all go back and see her without making her suspicious, they decided that my cousin should marry his girlfriend and have a wedding uh, as a ruse for us to all unite and say goodbye to my grandmother. As you do. Um, <laughs> As you it worked do. out. Yeah, it yeah. totally worked out. Um, can you talk about opening up this story and talking about it on NPR and, and how that came to be? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to make it as a film, you know, from the get-go. As a filmmaker, I had made a feature film before. Uh, I immediately thought that this should be a film, but at the time... You know, most people were asking me, well, is it a Chinese film or is it an American film? Interesting. And I would say American, but I would say it with a little bit of hesitation because I knew that I wanted it to be 100% uh, Asian, Asian American cast. And it would be, you know, a large majority in uh, Chinese Mandarin, which meant subtitled. Because that's the language that my family speaks when we go back to China. And my lack of understanding of sometimes in that uh, culture has much to do with the language. And so I, it's so integrated in, into the story, I can't take that out. And so then people would say, well, yeah, so then that's not an American film. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would talk to Chinese investors and they would say, all right, we, if we made it as a Chinese film, then Billy can't be the main character uh, because mm. her perspective is too American mm. and Chinese audiences are not going to connect, connect with that. And so it kind of came back to those questions of like, what am I then? You know, Americans <laughs> are telling me this is not an American film. Chinese people are saying like Billy's way too American. Um, and so once again, I felt uh, like I didn't fit in in either places. And I kind of thought about quitting the film industry. You know, it was sort of this moment for me where I thought I'm never going to get to tell the stories uh as me, as who I actually am. And you're not going to get funded. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or I would always have a compromised vision that um, it's not worth it. You know, it's just too much time and energy and money to make films. So I set it aside for a while. I was going through this sort of uh, crisis of careers. And that's when a producer from This American Life approached me because I had done a short film that was at film festivals uh, that was made for very, very little money and, you know, supported by uh, Film Independent. God bless them. <laughs> um, 
And um, the this producer, Neil Drumming, said, you know, I'm one of the few people of color that's uh, going to be at This American Life. I do have an agenda. I want to, you know, find stories, find voices that have traditionally not been on This American Life. And he re- very much saw his own responsibility in that and sought me out and said, I love your voice, loved your film. What other stories do you have? Brought that to This American Life. Everyone loved it. You know, went ahead to uh, write and narrate and record the episode. And then once it aired on This American Life, within 48 hours, um, producers were calling to make it into a film. And what was great about doing, I mean, the experience of This American Life was that it was such a pure experience of storytelling because it's not you know, five years in the making of, and with millions of dollars. Um, it, it, and it's also journalism. So it, there was it, the approach was very investigative. It came from a place of curiosity where the producers there were asking me questions as opposed to telling me what the story needed to be to fit a particular market. Mm-hmm. And that had never happened to me before. And so it was this huge paradigm shift for me where I thought, oh, I can actually explore stories by exploring them rather than thinking first about how I'm even going to get this made. Mm-hmm. And it furthered my belief that I should quit the film industry after doing This American Life. The first, you know, 24 hours after finishing the story, uh, I was crying to a friend because I said, this was the most pure artistic storytelling experience I've ever had. And I think I'm in the wrong industry. I got to go into radio or something else. Podcasting. Podcasting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know? You know, it's like me in a room with a microphone and then within 48 hours, my voice is out there and then millions of people heard the episode. And then, of course, producers came and, you know, we set up the movie. But it gave me, um, one, the experience and the wherewithal to say, well, if I'm going to make the movie, this is how I'm going to make it now. Mm -hmm. Having gone through this very pure storytelling experience, I wanted to replicate that in my approach to filmmaking. And it also gave me the power to interview producers who were going to support that process. Because prior to this, I was pitching producers. Mm -hmm. Now they were pitching me. And I was getting to choose who was going to get to partner with me. And um, that was such a privileged place to be in. And I wouldn't have been able to be in that place if it wasn't for this American life. But more specifically, if it wasn't for Neil Drumming, because without him seeking me out and having that agenda to bring me on the show, uh, you know, I I don't know that Ira would have found me because we're not in the same circles. He's not at these independent film festivals necessarily. Um, And even my producers in the end, they would maybe not have found me. Right. So, yeah. I mean, representation matters. And and I use that a lot as a hashtag, but it really does. Yeah. I don't think we'd be here without the help of other people of color or Asian Americans to sit at this table with you or go to Sundance. So it's it's really helping the whole um, film scene and also I think media scene. Um, can you also talk about what well, we're going to get into the film now? Um, you, I saw you at the um, San Rafael screening last night, and you yeah. talked a little bit about filming in China and the hierarchy of being a director and AD, um, but you were a Asian-American female director in China. How was that experience? Uh, it was really great because I feel like they don't... I mean, I may be speaking out of line here, but based on my own experience, it didn't feel like there was sexism towards a female director. Uh, 
it's very much a hierarchy in China. Like I think that's um, what's most important is that they see um, the director at the top of the hierarchy, and regardless of what gender you are, their job is to treat you as the top of the hierarchy. And uh, so it was really great, honestly. You know, everyone acted like family. You know, my great aunt played herself right. <laughs> uh, yeah. in the movie and she's not a professional actor and everybody was just always swarming around her asking if she needed anything people were reading lines with her um, we had people you know guys from the crew um, giving her massages uh, <laughs> there were lots of massage trains on oh, set you yeah. know um, so it was just this very uh, collective unit and it emphasized sort of the value of the collective in Eastern cultures Mm -hmm. and uh, you know and then I came back to shoot in New York and it was uh, quite a different experience I mean I think that might also be because I was only shooting for two days Mm. and so it wasn't like we were building this family from day one Um, but but yeah you know it was uh, what was so wonderful about shooting in China too is that people had their roles but nobody ever felt like they were too good for something else so you know everybody would go grab a coffee it didn't mm-hmm. matter what position you were in it or just a PA job exactly mm-hmm. you know and here I think so often if I say you know if I if I go to do something they're like oh like you can't touch the camera you can't do this you can't do that and there uh, there weren't that many regulations and rules and so in some ways it was just like do whatever you can all hands on deck you know? yeah um, the lead character Billy is played by Aquafina, and I noticed in the film that her relationship with her father is very different than with her mother. And it almost seems like she and the father are just as emotional um, together as they are apart. Can you talk about your relationship with your father? And was it pretty consistent with what the film was showing? Yeah, I would say that my relationship... Not to get all therapy on you, but (laughs) (laughs) I noticed that. Yeah, no, I think that, um, you know, my relationship with my father is just a... um, a lot less uh, conflict-ridden than my relationship with my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like a lot of women would say that about um, their own relationships. For me, um, you know, my father's very earnest, and so even with the movie, he's just proud of me. No ifs, ands, or buts. Mm-hmm. Uh, where with my, with my mother, it's very difficult to get her to even admit to that, and. Um, there's always sort of like, a, well, yes, but, you know, whereas with my father, he's just so purely joyful or purely sad. There's a simplicity to his emotions. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that throughout the experience um, in my real life when my grandmother um, was sick and we had this wedding, is that my <laughs> father's feelings were also the closest to mine. He was, mm-hmm. you know, the most Americanized of everybody in my family. And the most torn because it's his own mother, you know? And so he was as torn as I was about uh, these his, his own American values versus his loyalty to his family. Yeah, and talking about your family, have, have you all gotten closer because of the film? Has the dynamic changed at all? I'm, I'm not sure that we've, we've always been really close. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not necessarily that we've gotten closer or not closer um the dynamic has changed i guess yeah i think it's hard because i think my parents have seen me struggle for so long and that it's an adjustment for all of us to kind of try to 
survey the new landscape of what my life would look like, you mm-hmm. know, to, to suddenly go, okay, wait, like, so do you still need money? Do you like, you know, like, <laughs> how can um, we take care of you? Yeah, yeah. How do we take care of you now? What is, what are, what is our role now in your life? Wow. If you no longer need us. And it's like, well, I don't, just because you're not giving me money or right. like, which they never did, by the way, I say that, <laughs> but they were not um, those types of parents that they, they wanted me to stand on my own two feet, but they were always worried, you know, and it was always, even in little ways, my, like my mother would be always be like, don't give her money. And then my dad would be like, of course not. Here's $20. Here's, yeah. <laughs> don't exactly. tell your mother, yes. you know, yep, that kind, yep. of, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so there's all of these dynamics that have been created that are now because the change happened so quickly too that it's like oh now what like what's our role now how how do we how do i talk to you how do i um engage with you in a in a way and so i don't know if they see me more as an equal or if they Hmm. see me more yeah it's hard to describe because i think we're still going through it right now you know they're um they're just along for the ride in many ways and and um it's as jarring for them as it is for me yeah so well that kind of goes into my next question and my last question unfortunately um what's the most surprising thing that has caught you off guard uh since we've seen you at sundance up until now in terms of this film and and the reactions or your traveling and um i mean a lot of stuff has caught me off guard I think just the level of um, emotions that people come out of the movie with has caught me off guard because, you know, clearly for me, making this movie was a way for me to process all of the conflicting emotions that I had and fe- and um, feelings towards what was right, what was wrong, and um, and do I disagree with my family? And if I disagree with them, how do I deal with that and also how do I deal with um losing my grandmother right Mm -hmm. and if for me it feels like mountains are falling and the world is imploding (laughs) um and so you try to explore that in your art but you don't necessarily expect that other people are going to feel that same way right and I think to, to the degree that people feel that way um is is pretty amazing but also just speaks to like how much love people have for their own grandparent I'm sure yeah. that it brings up a lot of that stuff yeah and family in general and family in general and yeah. and I think we're also living in a time you know people really respond to that scene about where where the uncle talks about the collective mm-hmm. versus the individual and I do think that we're living in a a time where people are probably really lonely and we're so divided we're so polarized mm-hmm. even within families that are from the same country they may look at the world differently and some of these differences are dividing us and I think we're all hungry for solutions, for a way to connect deeper and have greater understanding, greater compassion, mm-hmm. even if you don't understand, even if you don't agree. Yeah. Lulu, thank you so much for being back on Bitch Talk. Of course. Thank you for having me. Of course. I hope you enjoy the dim sum. I will. I'm going <laughs> to eat it right now. <laughs> That was uh, my interview with Lulu Wong, the writer-director of The Farewell, which opens today in the Bay Area, July 19th. Please buy a ticket and support this film. Uh, Lulu is, uh, she's like a sister to the show at this point. She's family. 
I'm just I'm just letting her know she's adopted. She's yeah, in. Yeah, and we've known her now for almost a year. Yeah, I mean so. we've really uh, invested <laughs> in her. Uh, it's been six months mm-hmm. of uh, relationship. No, You've been stalking her a little more than Look, I have. She's uh, well, I'm on social media, so um, I don't know if it's called stalking. It just comes up in my feed, Ange. So. When we first walked into the room at Yank Sing, oh, that was right. the first thing we said. It was like, hey, nice to see you again. Like, yeah, she's she going to remember. No like, no, she, she, she remembered knows. who we were. She knows. She knows who we are. But, yeah, I, it's one of those things, too, where now Ange and I are doing, and it's fine, independent interviews, but I always still get nervous, even though we've interviewed her before. But, like. Are you kidding? I would have been nervous, but, too, even though I have five million things I want to ask right, her. Right. But knowing now, like, the weight of this film, especially at the time we're at now, where we have a president telling people of color to go back where you come from, like, it's a little more weighty um, than I feel like it was at Sundance. Yeah. You know I, what I mean? Yeah. So, um, saw the film twice. Uh, it's, it's like. Last Black Man of San Francisco. It's uh, it's a little bit. It's not otherworldly, but it's it's just different. I don't. Know. It's a different experience for people to see. I don't know that. Well, I, what do you mean? It's like I don't. I don't it's see. It's just so unique. How about yeah, that? Yeah. Okay. That's what I, mean. I, I was like, they're, and they're I both very different. Uh, the word unique. They're very different experiences. Yes, watching them. It's not them. the same story at all. It's not the same experience. But I think that, I, ju- I don't know, I just think that she was able to capture just these little intricacies of, like, being in a f- a first generation, or, or maybe not even first generation, but living in the States as, as an, immigrant. an immigrant and uh, and dealing with family members who aren't. Yes. Uh, but also just... How fucking quirky and funny and you know what I mean? It's not just like oh math and funny accents and and whatever your stereotypes right. are. Like, our families are funny also, you know, and they're and they're yeah. um, sarcastic quirky. and assholes and and the the whole gamut, just like just like anyone else's. But she was able to capture that special Asian flavor. Je ne sais quoi. <laughs> <laughs> it's different. It's yes. different, same, same, but different, right? Like, right. I don't know. I don't know. She was able to capture it so beautifully. And also, it's And it didn't seem like... Oh, or... It's not forced. Can't, uh, yeah, or can't be... Or, uh, it just... It it touched me deep down. I know it did. You and John <laughs> Wildman back at Sundance. Yeah, yeah. And um, I just... I really appreciate it, and I, I can't wait for more films like this. Uh, how was it the second time? Seeing it? Yes. So the first time we saw it, uh, we were rushed into the theater. Right. Um, and yep. I didn't feel like I could really sink into the movie. Right. Because there was a lot going on. And, and that's kind of like how I felt. I feel like I have to... I haven't seen it again since that time. But I, I was, it, that was the centerpiece film of San Francisco Film Festival. Right. So we were in the middle of all that yes. craziness. Yes. So watching it, and it's just like, I don't think... I really got to absorb the movie the way that I wanted to. Yeah. Just because, first of all, you know, like, there's the the subtitle part where you have to actually really pay attention yeah, yeah. to what's happening. You yeah. can't blink. No. Because you, it's one of those things, it's like, you know, it's like when people, it's like for the people that watch Game of Thrones. You, you, oh, yeah. you, you can't walk out of the room. No, you can't, you can't turn your head. Exactly. So you won't know what's happening. Um... Seeing it the second time around, I went by myself. Creepy. No. Um, 
but it was an interesting experience the second time around because I was sitting basically in a, a room full of older white people. So that was interesting in itself. Um, but it's, a, it's a, like what Ange said, it's what I wanted Crazy Rich Asians to be. Like, I wish this was the Crazy Rich Asians breakout versus Crazy Rich Asians, if that even makes sense. Just because there's more depth, mm-hmm. there's way more story, there's more heart. And obviously this is a true, this is a very true right. story to Lulu. So it's heartfelt. No, and mm. You I know so, what I mean? No, mm. I totally see what you're saying because right now all of these movies, like the uh, Always Be My Maybe and the, the, uh, the Farewell, they're all getting credit or all the credit is going to Crazy Rich Asians yes. for like opening this door. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, that door's been open, <laughs> by the way. Um, it's been open. It's just that uh, there hasn't been opportunity. And I, for whatever reason now, there's a light being shown on people of color, Asian American stories, all kinds of different stories. Well, but well, but uh, an- another thing is, aside from the subtitles, it's not an Asian story. Not at all. Like it's it's relatable being- to anybody. It's family. It's about loving your family and losing a loved one and not quite fitting in uh, in either world and trying to find find your way in between two different worlds. Yeah. Which it's it's relatable. Yeah. It's not just an Asian story, uh, and 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 the fact that it's like, you know, told from the heart. That's what makes it relatable because it's about being human and dealing with fucking complicated shit. It's yeah. It's not an Asian story. It's more of a. It's a very authentic family story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's you know every doesn't matter what race you are. It's as a family you relate to that mm-hmm. on a level. Right. Yeah, you, that, what we're saying is you don't have to be Asian to enjoy this movie. <laughs> yeah, and but I think that that's if why you're not I, understanding what we're saying. <laughs> well, and I but I just you really, figured it out. By yeah, now. but through I just our, through our analysis. Yeah, so I, I I connected with it because I feel like I really don't think that my family is like oh they're just so Asian, but I I guess they are uh, to an outsider. But you know that whatever that means to be so Asian, like. It's just my family, and right. I watch that, and and I feel the same way. Yeah. So, um, so please go support this film. It, uh, I don't know. I think Lulu is. She's a, so special, amazing, and she's so fucking cute. It's ridiculous. And I mean, she's. Dating, I went in for She's the hug. dating one of our friends of the. Sh- another friend yeah he stalks me actually he's been following me on vacation if you don't know because we've talked about it before she and barry jenkins are are a thing and it's adorable and um and we love them as a couple and we love barry so much so much even though you know what's funny and i'm we'll wrap up after this but (laughs) the story because i wasn't there if no one's heard the story Ange interviewed barry jenkins for Uh, here it goes well, and I wasn't there for that because I was working. That was the first time you had to do an interview by yourself. And I was not even committed to being a host at the time. So this is the first time she had to interview someone by herself. It ended up being Barry Jenkins, who then ended up winning the Academy Award that year for Moonlight. And Moonlight is probably still one of my top five movies. But um, Ange interviewed him, crawled over him on a sofa, and um, they had a moment 
That's why we I stayed. sat where I wasn't supposed to right. sit. And I got a picture during the interview from a friend like, oh, look at this setup. And I'm like, why the fuck is she sitting right next to him? That's weird. Anyways, that's why it we say. It didn't feel weird. That's the origin story of Bitch Please, because at the end, he ended up asking Ange, why do we ever say Bitch Please on the show? And she's like, no, but now I we will forever. I never have once. Right. Yeah. So that's why we end the show with Bitch Please. So that's to Barry Jenkins. Anyways. Go see the farewell, please. <laughs> Support Lulu. And uh, don't forget, we're at bitchtalkpodcast.com. We're also at bff.fm. We are powered by GoTo Productions. And we'll see you later. Bitch, please. <laughs>